Hey, this is Michael Gilbert from Flossum and Jetsum, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. Hey Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, welcoming you to yet another week of that which we like to call Focus on Metal. And we got another Reach Back episode this week as we reach back to, uh, actually we'll call it Reaching Back to 1989. And that is the year that Flotsam and Jetsam Switch Labels signed on MCA Records and began work on their third album called When the Storm Comes Down. And in May of 1990, they rolled that out onto the unsuspecting metal public. And uh, as you'll hear from uh, from Michael Gilbert, who was our guest once again this week, talks about how they had a lot of expectations behind this album, figuring that it would uh, you know really give them that push being on MCA and all that good stuff. But uh, it didn't really go where they thought it was going to be. And uh, it's not for lack of trying, that's for sure. They uh, they turned for I think about 18 months on this album, and they did a whole headline tour with uh, with Prong. And then after that, they did stuff with Sabotage and Exodus and Sacred Rite and even uh, even uh, Pantera did some touring with them as well. But uh, like I said, it didn't really push them like they thought it was going to be. And uh, in fact, when they finally got home from that tour, bassist Troy Gregory actually left the band and he'd only uh, been in the band for now two albums. He came in um, as the uh, replacement for Michael Spencer on the the No Place for Disgrace album. And uh, he actually headed back out with Prong instead. And uh, they actually filled in the their thing once again. But anyways, uh, like I said, they had a, a lot of a uh, lot of high hopes for this one. It just really didn't materialize for Flotsam. And there's good tunes on here, that is for sure. So this week, Richie is talking with uh, Michael Gilbert all about uh, you know the whole history behind this album, and we'll find out everything you uh, ever wanted to know about the Flotsam and Jetsam release when the storm comes down. Hello. Is that Michael? Hey, what's going on? Hey, Michael, it's Richie. How you doing? Good. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I take it you were supposed to be on the road now. Yeah, we were supposed to have left about uh, about a week and a half ago. Okay. And we ended up before before uh, you know we we knew the tour was going to get postponed, but before we announced the postponement of it, we uh, we got new dates for next year, and it's almost the same date as what we, what we would be doing so okay. next april of next year we're going to be uh that's what i got rescheduled to i hope that doesn't um cause a headache for any of you guys work what you know I, i'm not sure if you do the, this for for your full-time job you know because sometimes you gotta when you reschedule stuff it can cause a bit of a headache yeah um Fortunately, we're all able to to get out and do you know whatever needs to get done with the band, and uh, it's more than just a, a hobby. It's a love affair that we've had for for you know thirty years, over thirty years. So it, it, when you, when you have it, it's like a, it's kind of like a disease, I guess you could say. Uh, so you do whatever you can, but you know to to fight and claw to make sure tours and albums happen. You know, mm. the the last album you brought out, 
I interviewed you for it. It's a great record. It really did get reviewed well. Yeah, unfortunately, definitely we're on the right track with what, uh, you know, compared to some, some of the previous records where we've been a little bit uh, all over the map on uh, production, you know, I would say uh, a little off base from our first two records. And then we had some in-between time. And then we released uh, our self-titled record. And then the end of chaos, which seemed to, those two seem to be pretty congruent. And um, the other thing is, with this time, we're you know where nobody's touring, we're, we're actually writing another record. So this next record is going to sound uh, on par. It's actually going to be better than the end of chaos. So I'm excited for it. It's all coming together right now. Hmm. Michael, are you able to just write anytime you want, or do you have to be in a certain mood? Because with the circumstances now, you're, you're you're probably stuck at home. You should have been on the road. Um, do you have to get in a certain headspace to write music? Uh, yeah, sometimes. It, you know, I've got a I got a studio in my house, so I'll go in there and and sometimes I'll just go into practice, and I end up coming out with uh, a song. You know, and I'll send that out to the guys and see if they like it. See if AK can put something over the top of it, uh, a cool melody, and then it just it'll start to build off of that. Mm. So. You know, it's, it is it is really, you do have to be in the mood. And I guess I'm lucky enough to where I'm pretty much always in the mood to play music. So <laughs> mm. so the re- the reason I have you on and I'm holding it in my hand is the, it's the 30th anniversary of when the storm comes down, if you can believe that. Um, yeah. That's- <laughs> <laughs> so I, have, I, have, I actually have it on vinyl and I'm holding the vinyl in, in my hand. So um, Wow. Yeah, so I, I really do want to get into that. But before I do get into it, a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed Michael Alago. And um, what I, I didn't just ask him about Metallica. I made sure to ask him about you guys. Um, what, what sort of relationship did you guys have with Michael back then? And, and how did you meet him? Oh, man, Michael's a great dude. Uh, he was the... Uh, A&R rep for Electra Records, and he signed us to Electra um, shortly after coming out to. Well, actually, he told us the night that he came out to see us, we played a show in Phoenix called. Uh, it was at a venue called Rockers, and uh, he said he was going to come out to, to check the show out. So we flew out to watch the show, and we all, you know, we all went to dinner and stuff before, and we got got to know each other, and uh, the relationships all just clicked with him, because he, I mean, you know, after talking to him, he's, he's an incredible person, uh, and he's, uh, he's just awesome to be around. So, we play the show, and as soon as we get done, we're in the dressing room, and he goes, I just want to let you guys all know that I want to sign you guys, but... If you guys want to do that, you know, we're like, yeah, Electra, we, you know, we hit a major label. That's awesome. So that was the second record. And then from then, you know, even after he left, uh, uh, being an A&R rep, we still, you know, we still keep in contact, you know, I, I still talk to him. We text, he's always checking up on me, you know, uh, he has general, uh, genuine concerns about Flotsam and he's a, he's a fan, you know, which, uh, a lot of times back in those days, uh, the the 80s, the late 80s, you you would get A&R reps that weren't really fans of some of the music. So if you've got a guy on your team that's at the label that believes in you, you know, it's, it's, it's a great thing. It's, mm-hmm. it, uh, it's powerful. He told me that uh, he was a big fan of Ugly Noise. So he, he, he actually has kept following you guys to see what you're up to. Yeah. Yep. 
he'll send me uh, he'll send me messages uh, all the time about hey read this book or do this you know or uh, check out this art so yeah mm. now the second record no place for disgrace I I'm from Ireland so I that wasn't on Electra when I bought it it was on Roadrunner Records um, uh-huh. so when you did when the storm comes down were you still on Electra then in the U S we actually, when the storm comes down, we actually migrated over to MCA. Okay. Uh, we went with Michael. Uh, he took us with him. So, and that's what I'm saying. Like when you have an A&R rep that believes in you, you know, he's going to take care of you. And he's going to take you with him, you know, wherever he's going. Uh, you know, we had issues with, uh, with Electra because, you know, you, they, they thought it was going to be, this is, this is what I think happened. They thought it was going to be just like a Metallica thing, you know, or like Metallica was already, rolling you know it was snowballing uh and successfully in, in a good way and i think they thought the same thing with us and it and you know being uh back in the 80s when metal was first when it first started and it start, uh, was emerging you know there was it was all word of mouth you know there was no radio you know and then there was fanzines that were uh, doing interviews and it was very uh underground you know so for Metallica to take off like that, you know, I think they expected us to, to do the same thing, but you know, it just, it was Metallica. Mm. We all know what that story is. That's just the one time thing, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. Now Metallica were on Electra as well. Why didn't, uh-huh. um, why didn't the label put you guys out with Metallica to try and break you? You know, that's a, that's a great question. And we don't understand that. I think, I think the management in Metallica had, um, uh, had some issues with Jason being around us because Jason was so attached to the band, you know, it was, uh, Flotsam and Jetsam was, was Jason's baby at the time. And then, uh, you know, I, I guess it's almost a conflict of interest, but, but maybe not. I'm not, I'm, and I'm totally speculating. I don't know, but uh, that would be my guess. Hmm. When, when Jason left to join Metallica, did, did you guys all keep in touch? Oh Yeah. I, I still talk to him uh, at least once a month because, uh, man, that guy, he's got a larger than life personality and he's just, a good, he's just a great human being. Uh, have you ever done an interview with him or not? Jay, not, not Jason. No, uh, I'd, I'd love yeah, to. He's, he's killer. He's a, he's a really good dude. Hmm. He can't, he, all, he always came across to me as the fan guy in the band that he was very, very approachable. He always put himself out to meet the fans Oh yeah, he was. He's definitely like that, and uh, one of those people um, that would he remembers your name too. You know, like he's he's just one of those people. He's 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 got it down to where uh, he remembers people. He remembers what happens. He remembers dates. He's kind of like a rain man type of dude. Mm. <laughs> M- Michael, dear, one of the things I asked Michael Alago was was he the guy to tell the bands that the label was letting them go? Do you remember Michael saying to you guys that Electra was going to drop you? And, and how did you all feel about it? Well, I heard about it through our management. So at some point, Michael Lago must have talked to our uh, our Keith Rawls management at the time. And then I, I got the call from Keith and I was just like, well, you know, we kind of expected it because they weren't really on board with the, I know Michael was on, on board with the music that we were making, but it didn't seem like the executives were more on board with it. You know, they, like they wanted something a little more mainstream. So we kind of expected it. And then, 
we actually used our own money to to fund the uh, the recording since since we got dropped on Electra. So wow, but yeah. So well, they ended up they ended up having to to, uh, to still pay us for it, but you know the legal the legal part of it. So so we it was basically we loaned ourselves the money and then we were paid back. Hmm. We finished the record. D- did you find that? Did you find Michael that the five E bonded closer together because of that adversity at the time? Yeah, I, that, yeah, really. Uh, we we did. We had to come together. You know, we had a uh, one of our main songwriters leave the band so uh we had to figure out you know who's going to fill those shoes and and uh you know that space it's a pretty big space big shoes to fill mm. so where where did the label send you on no place for disgrace in europe or did they send you to, for many shows over there no we, we did a very short run uh with megadeth over there and I, I think it was like two weeks or something like that and that was about it Hmm. We came back and then we toured uh, toured the states, and then uh, yeah, that was it. We were back on to making another record. Did, did you not play the Art Shock Festival with Queensrÿche? We did. Yes, I have a poster of that in my uh, in my studio. Wow! I should, uh, I should I'll, you know, I'll text it over to you. I'll text a picture of it. Yeah, over I, I, I think it was <laughs> I think it was Letterwolf, Crimson Glory, yourselves. Queensryche, and there was some like hair metal band, like Sleaze Bees or someone like that, I believe, is on it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the European festivals can be pretty eclectic when it comes to to bands. Oh, I love them. Yeah. Yeah. So, when did you when did you sit down and start writing? When the storm comes down, were you writing on the road when you were promoting No Place for Disgrace? Uh, no, we we came back and. and those are the days when we'd all get into a big warehouse and, and just start hammering out ideas, you know, and my homework, I would do it at home and I would take it to the studio or to the, to our rehearsal space. And then just start throwing the ideas out going, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And then and songs would evolve, you know, with all five of us in a room. Uh, I, I do miss those days because there's a certain element about, about uh, the energy and there's just something a little different than the way they do things, you know, these days as far as what people hear and what comes across on a uh, sonically on a recording. You know, there's a lot more. Uh, I just think there's a more uh, personal thing when everybody's in a room writing, and then then everybody goes and records, uh, as opposed to everybody recording at home and throwing their parts together through emails and and Dropbox and all that kind of stuff. Hmm. Michael, did did any of you want to go with an independent label that you'd done the major label and it didn't work out that you felt that you'd rather go with a smaller label that might treat you better, that you'd be like a big, bigger fish there? Well, you know what? That didn't even really, after we were on a major label, that didn't really come into mind because the whole mindset was like, if you were in a, played in a band and you ended up getting on a major label, you were going to experience some sort of success. You know, you're doing something right. So to us, it almost seemed like going back or finding an independent label, a smaller label, label would have been uh, a, not such a good choice. But actually, uh, hindsight's twenty twenty. It probably would have been a better choice to to, to go back to Metal Blade and you know continue making records on Metal Blade. Mm. 
Now, you said Michael got you guys to MCA. Was there any other labels that were, were looking for you guys at the time, either majors or independent? Well, it was it was MCA, and then they had all these different uh, divisions of uh, uh, MCA. So we were actually attached to one that was called Uni, and that was that was where we ended up settling in, and kind of you know a, a little bit like kind of lost and for, forgotten, I think maybe at the time. And you know the pointy guitars and metal music was kind of on its way out. You know, everybody was, was starting to talk about, and, and this is like, I'm, I'm talking about the drift era, you know, um, I'm kind of jumping ahead mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it, um, you know, people just kind of, it's fate metal got phased out, you know, by, they want to say grunge. I don't really know if I, if I believe that I, I think music goes into end cycles and, you know, even grunge will, will come back in a different form eventually, you know, uh, and metal will fade out again, and it'll come back. It's just cycles. Everything is going to cycle with it. Mm. Did, did it bother any of you guys at the time that a lot of people, the minute you mentioned the name Flotsam and Jetsam, they'd say, that's the band Jason Newstead left to join Metallica? You know, that yes, uh, we got that a lot, but you, we don't hear too much of it anymore. You know, maybe if I do 10 interviews, uh I might hear it once or if I, if I'm talking to fans, uh, you know, I might, I might hear it every once in a while, but not like, you know, not like it used to be where they would, uh, when I would do interviews, they would start out with, so what was it like to play with Jason? Well, you know, he, he was my friend and he's a bass player and it's just like any other bass player, but he was, you know, good. He's real good. <laughs> mm. so, so who stepped up to the plate on this record when it came to writing, the majority of the songs uh, for the storm record. Yes. Okay. Uh, you know, it, we all wrote a, it's collaboration with all of us, but it usually sp- gets spawned from somebody bringing a guitar riff um, to rehearsal or a bass riff. And uh, I did, I did probably 80% of the guitar uh, writing on it. So, and then after I bring it to, you know, the rehearsals, they would just, you know, start evolving into something else. Uh, lyrics would get put, uh, lyrics and melody lines would get put towards the end. And AK, you know, AK would get a version of the song and be able to go home and work on it and then bring it to rehearsal and work it out, you know. Was it written pretty quickly? Uh, that one, I think, took about, mm, I, I think it took about six months. And then we we headed up to upstate New York, Ithaca, to do the recording. Hmm. What, what time of the year did you go up there? Can you remember? Yes, because uh, we talk about getting our priorities straight. Uh, <laughs> we all like to fish. We all like to go fishing. So at the time, we d- we decided the summer would be uh, a great time to go record because. Uh, the fishing would be good, and on our days off, we could go fishing up in upstate New York. See, we got our priorities all screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> I spoke to um, Alex Skolnick and Greg Christian, and they recorded with Alex up there as yeah. well. But they went up there in the middle of winter, and they said they'd never been as cold ever in their life. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the cold weather. That's why I'm here in Arizona. Yeah, that's why I wanted yeah. to ask you, when did you go? <laughs> mm-hmm. So, did the label get involved at all in what direction and sound 
that they wanted the record to, to be? Not, not so much on that one. Uh, they kind of, you know, still kind of the word of mouth thing. Uh, you know, that, the direction didn't start to happen until after that record when they when uh, when Quattro came into play. Hmm. But that record, that record, uh, I I don't know. You know, it, I think it's in desperate need of a remix. Uh, I, I it's got great songs. I'm super proud of the songs, but I'm, I'm just not. And, and maybe just because I'm super critical, uh, you know, of music, of our music in particular, that I, you know, it's never perfect. But I, I would love to see that get remixed. What What made you pick Alex to do it, or was that Michael Alago's decision? Uh, we picked Alex because mainly the guitars, uh, the guitars he worked on with Anthrax, it sounded great, sounded fantastic. So. You know, we don't. There's no way we'll ever sound like Anthrax, but we wanted to bring something a little bit different. We were using Bill Metoyer, who's a fantastic, uh, he does fantastic production, but we wanted to change it up a little bit and uh, try the East Coast and, and Alex out. You know, with uh, his expertise in guitars. Hmm. Was there any other producer names that were thrown around? Um, uh, man, I. At the time, I, I can't recall. I think uh, Alex was the guy like that we all wanted unanimously unanimous wanted to go with, you know. Mm, mm. So you get up to New York. Um, did you record the tracks live as a band, and then and then overdub on it, or, or what way was it done? We tried that. Uh, we tried to do the live thing. That's funny you mentioned that because we went in and. Uh, it didn't work for us. You know, we spent a couple of days trying to do that. And it just was, it sounds weird coming through your headphones and you can't get like a, you can't get a vibe with the songs. And after playing in a rehearsal, hall, uh, rehearsal studio for so many years, going to the headphone mix was just, where's the energy? You know, it sounds weird. So we tried it and then we ended up just do, uh, tracking it traditionally. You know, we did the drums, the guitars, the bass, and then the, the singing afterwards. Hmm. Mike, did you do a lot of pre-production for that record with Alex? Uh, no, not, not really. We we did a couple of demos, sent them back and forth via uh, uh, tape, you know, just so he, he was uh, queued up to what we were doing. Did you talk to Did you talk to him much about the direction the record was going to take? Did he get involved in that? Did he get involved in the structure of the songs at all? Given his two cents on on the songs. Yeah, he, he would. You know, when he would hear something that was uh, kind of weird, and if he if he thought so, if it was, if, you know, he would bring it up and say, "Yeah, hey, can we try this?" Or uh, Alex is a good producer, you know, and he's good at what he does, and. You know, I think there's some strength in that, too, when you have an outside source uh, outside of the band that is listening, going, hey, you know, I like what you're doing here. But to me, this sounds kind of weird. You know, the transition to the for for some of us when we're transitioning from parts, choruses and verses and and uh, areas of the song, we get caught up. We're in a bubble. We don't always hear it, you know, uh, objectively. So it's always nice to hear. Uh, you know what the producers are saying or what someone with a fresh ear is saying and Alex was good at that mm. one of the things that a producer has to do is they have to be able to deal with people and people are very different you need to push them a certain way to get a performance out of them I think some guys they need to be you know shouted at other guys might need to put their arm around their shoulder um, what way did Alex work with you in the studio when you were tracking your guitars 
And I remember this too, because he, he, uh, you could just tell he didn't have to say anything if he didn't like a take. You could, I, I could read him, you know, so I just knew to do it again. And he, you know, he, he would get the best take for me by just, uh, he would rarely have to say anything. He, he would, it's when he would stop the take or how he would, how he would sit there. As, <laughs> Yeah, I still, that's that's a great question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just I could read him really well, and I think everybody in the band could too. Like, uh, we became friends with him immediately after going up there. Hmm. Do you remember any of the other guys in in the band saying that it was they didn't really have a great time recording this album? That for for whatever for for whatever reason, maybe Alex said something to him and they took it ro- the wrong way, or because you seem to know that you knew what Alex wanted from you. You were tough on yourself, but you're t- there's four other guys in the band. No, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, uh, there was never really any kind of drama or anything going on like that. Uh, uh, it was pretty. It was a pretty smooth record to record. Mm. Because all of you guys were up in upstate New York, did did you all hang around for the the whole recording, or or when you did your parts, did you go home? No, we all we hung around for the whole thing. Okay, was there any particular reason why um why it was mixed in uh, where was it mixed in California and it wasn't mixed in New York? Um, uh, you know that's a great question. I I don't really remember why that happened. Uh, we we did overdubs uh, in California as well too. Just a couple of them, not very many. But the the mixed part of it, I don't I don't know why we chose uh, California. Maybe Alex had a preference to that studio for for mixing. I, I don't know. Mm. Michael, can I go through the songs on the record and see if you have any memory of writing or recording them that might stand out? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so track one is the master sleeps. Okay. Yeah, this is one that Ed came up with. Ed Carlson was the originator of the guitar riff. And I had such a hard time playing the beginning of it because it's such a weird, uh, the way that, the way it fits together, the guitar part goes from a, a B to a B flat and the way the chunking part goes. I had a hell of a time with it. Hmm. And next track is Burn Device. Uh, kind of one of my favorites on that. Uh, it's probably going to be my second favorite track because it's the dissonant sound of it. And it's really, everything's caught on the upbeat. Uh, when I came up with that riff and brought it to a rehearsals, I think they were kind of looking at me like, wow, man, that, it sounds like you're out of tune or it sounds like, you know, it, it, nobody was really doing the dissonant stuff like that. It's got that weird on the upbeat. Uh and I also like the, uh, the the chorus of it, too. I thought that, uh, the transition in the chorus, I was really proud of that and how it all fit together. Mm-hmm. Deviation is the next song. Uh, Deviation is just straightforward metal song that's, that's fast. Uh, <laughs> we always love playing it live because it, it, it gets people going. Mm. And October Torns? That is my favorite track on the, on the record. Uh it's in the key of F sharp and it's just, it's one of those tunes that wrote itself when we were doing, uh, uh, doing the, the initial songwriting of it. It just, it it wrote itself. It took, it probably took an hour to write musically. 
Wow, that's pretty quick. Yeah. 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 It wasn't yeah, it wasn't uh, much at all. We had all the parts, but just putting them together, it was like, Oh yeah, this obviously goes here, this obviously goes there. Yeah. Okay, good. Done oh. with that one. <laughs> Closing outside one is no more fun. No more fun. That was a Troy Gregory song. And uh, I don't know. It was, it was uh, I think he wrote that. And I, I might be wrong because I've never asked him about it. I think he might have been having some issues with uh, the guys in the band. Because uh, he, he left uh, shortly after that and, and did, uh, after we did a prong tour, he ended up leaving and going to prong. So I think he kind of wrote that. It was like, a, hey guys, I'm not happy. <laughs> okay. Opening Upside 2 is my favorite track on the record, Suffer the Masses. Yeah, uh, another one that wrote itself. I, I think that's, uh, that's a very powerful song. Just, I don't even know what to say. I'm, I'm super proud of the, the the double guitar solos and the melody and chorus. It's it's a it's a radio song, you know, and uh, it, that would sound great remixed. Hmm. Uh, next one is six six six. Yeah. This, okay. Here's a good story. We thought it was kind of funny because. If you listen to the song, all the breaks in it have six breaks, and it happens three times. So it's six first breaks, six second breaks, and six third breaks. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be something that a listener would never pick up on, like me. I'd never, I'd never say, "Oh yeah, that's why it's called that." There's no way I'd get that. Yeah, go back and check it out. Listen to it, and you'll, you'll hear it. <laughs> uh, next track is "Greed." Oh, that was. Uh, Man, that we—I don't really know what to say about this song. It, it was just kind of a a weird song. It was hard to put together. We we probably spent more time on that song than any other one on the record, and it just didn't seem like it was. It was it it was clashing. Everything that we were doing was kept clashing and clashing, and clashing. But uh, you know, we we finally ended up. Uh, putting it on the record and, and, and getting some sort of a pre-production out of it that we enjoyed. You know. hmm. It's not like stuff of the masses that wrote itself or October Thorns. This one, had, had, we had to work at it. Hmm. Next song is um, M-Tech. What does that stand for? Uh, that was all. We couldn't figure out a title for the song, so we just said, oh, okay, let's just use the, our... Uh, first letter and all our first names oh, that's <laughs> <How easy laughs> <is> that? <laughs> wow okay um scars scars okay so this one's got a nickname and it's called baloney arm that was what the that's what the working title of it was because the guitar part is all gets it's all down picks on this on it and it it actually starts to hurt. Your arm actually starts to hurt. Uh, so it, we came up with the nickname Baloney Arm because your arm feels like a piece of baloney by the time you're done playing it. <laughs> <laughs> and then KAB, which is Kill All Bastards, is like 30 seconds long. Yeah. And that, there's, that's not even any key or anything. Everybody just kind of plays whatever they want. And then, okay. Uh, AK, yeah. AK Screams. Yeah. Michael, were there... Any more songs you wrote for the record that didn't make it? Uh, I, for that, I can't uh, recall. I, I'm sure there was because there's always some stragglers, but I, you know, I guess that's why they're not on the record because I can't remember them. You know. <laughs> hmm. 
what, what did Michael Alago say to you about the record when it was done? Like, was he ecstatic with what you came out with? Yeah, he loved, he, he always loves everything that we do. He just, he was always very supportive saying, just do what you guys do. Be Flossum and Jessum and just do what you guys do. Mm. Tell me about the first time you heard the mix. Because I, I, I think the mix ruins this record. It's just my opinion. I think it, the vocals are way too upfront and so are the drums. Um, so w- what was going through your head the first time you heard the mix? Uh, well, honestly, I was disappointed, you know. Um, and in speaking, you know, we're a guitar band. And when the guitars are in the background and that's what you hear, you know, they, they tell you, go listen to this in your car, go listen to this at home and tell me what you think. Okay, well, we're a guitar band and I'm not hearing any guitars. All I hear is vocals and drums. So then I get another tape back. Is this better? Nope. Is this better? Nope. And the next thing you know, hey, we got to release it. We got to send it off to mastering. Okay, well, put, turn the guitars up. Uh, and then it was looked at like, Hey, you're the guitar player, and you you think that your shit needs to be louder than everybody else? No, I'm I'm listening to it from uh, uh, a fan standpoint, or like sonically, is it right? No, it wasn't. It was a it was a snare drum solo, and it sounded like Eric's vocals took place in another in another state. <laughs> hmm. It's you know so, what it, I mean. It sounded a little bit to me, and I, I'm sure people have said this sounded a little bit to me like the mix on Justice for All, that it was drums, vocals, maybe the, the guitar yeah. was a little bit lower than, than Justice, but the vocals and the drums are definitely way up front on this. Yeah, and you get a, uh, you know, we had a drummer at the mix too, so it's like when you got guys, dudes in the band that, that are listening for their own music or their own instrument, it really... It, it, it's a trick. It cancels the instrument out. So, you know, you got a drummer that wants to hear the snare drum. He's like, hey, I can't hear it. Turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. Next thing you know, it's louder than everything else, and he still can't hear it. You mm. know, uh, it, once it, once a guy gets to that point, you got to be like, Dude, it's time for you to get out of the, uh, out of here. You know, you're not, you're not hearing things. You need a day off or you need two days off or something like that and just kind of regroup. Um, and then I, you know, I hear a lot too, well, it'll get fixed in mastering. Well, I don't know how many times I've heard that and it, it never does. It never has been fixed in mastering for us. And this is one of the records that I, I heard that mm. totally disappointing. And, you know, it's, I think there's some great songs and we, we all did great work on it. It just needed a little more time for, for a different mix, you know? Mm. Now, did you make a, make an effort to get in there and listen to the mixes? Because sometimes the producer doesn't want any of the band members in there at all when they're mixing. Yeah, it was kind of like that. I I heard it, but then again, you know, I'm listening to it in a, in a studio on S10s, uh, a professional studio, as opposed to what I'm what I listen to in my car or truck. So it really doesn't do me a whole lot of good. I want to hear it on something I'm I'm used to hearing it on, you know. Hmm. So would it be because, fair? Sorry, go oh, ahead. Go ahead. No, go on. Go on. Oh, it's uh, the NS10. Those Yamaha NS10s. They're like every every producer mixer says. And if you can get uh, a song to sound good on these things, then you've got a good sounding song. You got a good mix. And I always thought it sounded like shit on NS10s, no matter what. So I I had to kind of remove myself and put my trust in other people, which you know, 
I don't know if that was the right thing to do, but you know, mm. Michael, I'm, would the, it, I'm the guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> would it be fair to say then that that Eric and Kelly Smith thought that the mix was fantastic, and the other three V guys didn't? No, I know AK is not not happy with the mix either. Uh, after listening to it, and I don't think Kelly is either. Uh, I think we're all just go. We're looking at it like, fuck. We want to. We definitely want a new uh, a new mix on this. Let's put it in somebody's hands and let's all stay away and see what he comes up with. You know. Mm. Did Alex not talk to you at all throughout the record, uh, saying he was going to make the record sound like maybe some other band's album, like Rain and Blood or or some something like that? You know, I I can't remember if we talked about that and had some sort of a guideline and in uh, a direction i i think we just plugged in and if it sounded good we went with it uh you know that's drum sound there was no samples or anything back so uh those are the, those are real drums you know and the guitars we were using randalls we were using solid state amplifiers which we had a randall endorsement at the time and you know solid state didn't always translate well to uh to analog uh, you know as opposed to tube amps that might have been some of it who knows you know i it, i thought it sounded great in the studio and you're standing right in front of it uh yeah. it's raging raging loud and chunky and and it's, it's cutting so if it sounds good it sounds good if it sounds bad it sounds bad you know <laughs> i don't know <laughs> did the label want a single from this like did they actually release a single did they say to you i'm not hearing a single uh, the single was suffer the masses we had, if you can call it that because it was uh that's the one we did a video for it was on mtv and, and uh it seemed to be the cut that was going to be popular and and maybe uh you know appeal to uh, a broader scope of people Mm. Was that the song you would have chose as a single? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, that or October Thorns. Uh, those are the two. The, the mid-tempo ones. Uh, if you're gonna if you're gonna play something on the radio, mid-tempo tunes work really back then worked really well. Uh, something like Burn Device would have never. That would have just people would have just turned it off, going, "What the hell is this?" You know, it's, that's metal. It's about as metal as you can get. Mm. Did they did they edit the suffer the masses down because it's like over six minutes long? Yeah, they did. They they cut the intro, uh, the intro guitar riff, and I think there was a bridge part that they cut out too and brought it down to like four thirty or four four ten. Yeah, I can't remember exactly, but that's probably something you you've resisted because they're messing around with the the full song that you recorded. Yeah, it's uh, kind of a funny story now about that is is uh, we decided to put it in our set. And so we tell Ken Mary, our, he's our latest drummer, you know, uh, he's been in the band for three years now. I think, yeah, something like that. Hi, this is Ken Mary, and you're listening to Focus on Metal. So focus, people, focus. And he he went and learned Suffer the Masses, but he ended up getting the radio edit version of it. <laughs> and so... And so we're playing the songs. We're we're doing them out on uh, for sound check, you know, just running through them. And we keep fucking it up every time. And he's like, nope. He's like, that's not where you guys played. And I'm like, yeah, it is. Nope, nope. 
So we we started like getting button heads about it, but it finally took. Uh, I think it was AK. He's like, "Is Ken listening to the radio version?" And I'm like, "Oh shit! Okay, yep, that's exactly what's going on." So we got a good laugh at it, you know. Mm. That's a funny story. Um, Tony Montana told me more or less the same thing when when he went into audition for Great White. Um, one of the songs they did was uh, "Rock Me" in the audition. Uh-huh. They they were doing the single version, the band, and Tony was playing the album version. And there's a slight difference in it, I think, time-wise. And Tony said he had to stop the band and tell them that they were playing it wrong in his audition. <laughs> and they oh, tur- and, yeah, and they turned around and said, actually, you, you're right, we're playing it wrong. We're playing the single version and not the album one. Wow. <laughs> so when this when this album was released do you remember who they put you out on the road with and did you start in the US uh, we, yeah we did we started in the US uh, on our own tour and I, we didn't make it to Europe that year okay um, what size venues would you have been in for this oh we were playing and I think we were playing about 600 like five to six hundred uh, venues. Okay. And there's always there's there's some cities that were bigger, and then there was you know obviously some cities that were smaller. And it's total Spinal Tap too, you know, uh, it, when you're playing clubs because some of the clubs you get to, you're like, uh, wow, there's a salad bar in this one, it's like right in front of the stage. <laughs> um, who, who did you bring out to support you? Who uh, who was? Man, I don't uh, prong. Was, no, Prong was on the Quattro tour. I can't remember for, for When the Storm. I can't uh, remember who he brought out with us. Hmm. Michael, why did the label not try and put you on a bigger tour and you guys would open or maybe be in the middle of a package? Hmm. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I I don't really know. I know our management was trying to put us on something, trying to get us on something. Hmm. Uh, I, I wish I, that would be a golden uh, a golden answer for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just odd because you're still on a major label. Um, you know, you, you think with MCA, the first album that you did with them, they'd try and really push you to a, a bigger audience. That you're you're better playing two nights with much bigger audiences than playing a week with the same number of people. You're being exposed to more people in less oh, yeah. in less number of nights, and it's just odd that. You never went out on, with any other any bigger bands on this one. Yeah, that's that's a good question, and uh, that that would probably would have been really good for us. You know, we always got hooked up on the Megadeth tours uh, just because Dave Mustaine. We're friends with Dave, and he was he, he was always very very cool to us. So he would take us. But you know, times have changed now. Now uh, bands have to buy on big tours, which I think is it kind of sucks. But you know. What are you going to do? Yeah. Mm. Michael, who owns the masters for this? And do you know that they still even exist? Uh, Universal does. And I don't know where they're located. I would love to be able to get a hold of them. And, uh, you know, maybe maybe try a remix on it. Maybe something would come of that. Mm. D- don't they revert to the band after so many years anyway? Uh, the masters? Uh, did, did it- I don't know. I don't Kelly's got a lot of them, but I know he doesn't have that one. Okay. Okay. So are you still in touch with 
Well, I know Eric's still in the band, but are you still in touch with Edward and Kelly and Troy? Um, not Troy and Ed. I talk to them maybe once a year, but Kelly I talk to well, almost weekly. Hmm. So did you even tie around with maybe re-recording some of these? Because that seems to be the trend these days to get the sound that they couldn't get the first time the band will now try and re-record some of their older material. I would love to do that. Uh, I'd love the opportunity to, but it would be, um, I don't know if it would, do you think it would matter with different uh, personnel, different members as opposed to the original? Hmm. I, I think as well as that, Mike, you hit the nail on the head there. But the other thing is that was recorded in a certain time and, and place. You're in a certain headspace. I think it's time. It's hard to recapture that as you get older. Yeah. You know, you, it's very hard to go back in time when it comes to your songs. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of the the point I was making with with how people record these days. You know, nobody really gets into a big hall anymore and record or uh, write songs. You know, uh, everybody writes songs at their house and then emails it to each other. But back there was an element back in the day when everybody got in a warehouse and and played together and wrote songs together. There was an energy about it, you know. Mm-hmm. So, Michael, do you want to give out all the social media sites for the band where people can get in touch with the band or yourself? Uh, yeah. Uh, we just we just created a new website and launched it. It's called uh, com, and that's F-L-O-T-S-T-I-L-D-A-T-H.com. And uh, we have shirts and stuff available on that. Uh, Facebook, you can just look for Flossum and Jetson. You'll find us on Facebook. And uh, all our personal stuff's attached to that, too. Hmm. Uh, and Instagram, uh, Flossum and Jetson Official. Okay. Michael, I'll throw an idea at you here. This album is 30 years okay. old. If you get out towards the end of the year and you do shows, did you think? do you think maybe you might play five, six, seven songs off this to, to celebrate the anniversary of it? Well, that would be that would be pretty cool to do. Uh, given the time uh, next year, next April, if people are still, you know, feeling the thirty-year anniversary, yes, we probably will. Okay. Any songs on this that you never played live? Ooh. Uh, which ones do you still play live on off this? Uh, Suffer the masses and uh, sir. That's the only one off that record that we play live. Okay. We used to do we used to do the master sleeves. I finally got that guitar part down. So <laughs> <able> to do <laughs> nice, nice. Well, Michael, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you go. Thanks so much for giving me so much of your time to talk about this album. Absolutely. I I hope I, I give you some good information. You know, as a thirty years is a long time ago. I can only remember fifteen minutes ago. <laughs> mm. The funny I've spoken to musicians about albums in the past and. When they start saying, was this song on it? Was this song on it? And it's like four albums further on the line. I'm like, this interview is going to be tough. <laughs> you, you, should have thrown the, you should have thrown a sleeper title in there and, and uh, see if I recognize. <laughs> That's what you should do in the future. So a title from another record on there uh, when you're asking about the older records and see if they, if they figure it out. Okay. And then you can... Uh, <laughs> okay. All right. I'm, the, I'm kind of the joker in the band. Well, Michael, it's been a, ple- been a pleasure. Hopefully I'll see you out there at some stage. Absolutely. Keep in touch with me, okay? I will, uh, Michael. I will. Okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care of yourself. Bye.
Bye-bye. All right, Metalheads. There you go. There is our chat with Michael Gilbert of Flotsam and Jetsam. Always good stuff out of those guys. Seriously, seriously underrated band. And uh, definitely, if you haven't done so, I would urge you to go and pick up their latest one, The End of Chaos. Although word is that there's another one that could potentially be on the way. We'll see what happens with that. I know that every time people think about Flotsam, they always think, oh, well, that was the band that Jason Newstead came from. But there's so much more to this band than that. Like I said, seriously underrated. Do yourself a favor. Check out more of Flotsam and Jetsam. And like uh, Michael did mention, their website is flotstilldeath.com. Do yourself a favor. Go up there. Sign up for uh, the email bulletins. Check out. Well, not tour dates, because that's freaking screwed, but everything else they got going on. And uh, they also have some great stuff that's available in the merch shop as well. Some really cool t-shirts. I got to say, Flotsam always has some great t-shirts going. But anyways, thanks again for Michael Gilbert for coming back on Focus on Metal. But uh, for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great Metal Week. And until we talk to you again next time, be safe and, as always, remember... Focus on Metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.